0: Well, it is so good to be with y'all today, and we are continuing our sermon series looking at the book of Acts, a blueprint of the church. And one of the questions, or I guess two questions that we're really asking in this series that we are thinking about wrestling with, and that these are the two questions. Who are we? Who are we called to be together? And what is it that we're called to do Who are we and what is it that we're called to do? And we are painting this picture of what it means to be the church, the body of Christ, this local expression of the body of Christ here at Martha Bowman Church. And I think as I wrestle with that, who are we, what are we called to do? The tension for me, and maybe you might experience this too, is that the question I want to ask is, God, who have you called me to be? And what have you called me to do? Do you see the difference? Not we, but me. And I think the tension that that we feel sometimes is that that gravitational pull towards isolation. Now what do I mean by this? Okay, typical Monday morning. Tomorrow my alarm clock is gonna go off, and just saying, I really like mornings. I'm much more of a night person. So if you know me, don't be surprised if you get like an email, at, you know, kind of late. At, I've stopped texting people late at night because they're like, what were you doing at to in the morning? But anyway, I'm definitely not a morning person. So when that alarm goes off, it is not pretty. But the first thing that often as I'm laying there in bed, and you tell me if you experience this too, is my brain starts to go to what do I have to do today. You know, my first meeting, those first emails, the first things I'm working on, I might be thinking about my kids and maybe one that has something going on in their life and I'm worried about them or I'm thinking about them, but my thoughts, and God is a part of all that, and I'm praying and we're talking. But it's really me-centered. And there is this gravitational pull towards what's going on in your world. And sometimes faith and sometimes church and sometimes a relationship with God can fall into, and and we don't do this intentionally. Uh, We would never say it out loud. But it becomes, and our prayers become, where we are asking God to bless me. Lord, will you come and be a part of my life? Will you be a part? Help me out of the jam. That I'm presently in, or maybe with my finances, but but it is often me focused. And so, what we're inviting everybody to do today is to kind of lift up our eyes away from ourselves and say, "Well, God, what is it that collectively you have called us to do together and be together?" And and so, how can we kind of live into that? And I think for me, some of the barriers, and maybe you can experience this too, uh, some of it is I. Really I really do have a to do list I mean, I really do have responsibilities, and these things do need to get taken care of sometimes I think while we are drawn to isolation sometimes it 's just busyness it 's just we 're thinking about ourselves and i don 't mean that in a, in a horrible bad way i mean it 's just that 's just life. I think sometimes we're also drawn to kind of find ourselves being isolated just a little bit because we're kind of putting up masks because we're trying to be perfect. So whatever that is that pulls you towards isolation rather than community and who are we together, that is what we're looking at today. All right, so the passage that we're looking at uh, comes from, um, you, have it, you have a part of it there in your, in your bulletin, but really this whole story happens in Acts Three and chapter 3 and chapter 4. So anyway, you're welcome to read it on your own this afternoon, but I'm just going to kind of take us through this story and then lift out some principles that I think will help us get a better handle on what it looks like that God's called us to be collectively together. So the way the story goes is uh, Acts chapter 3, you have Peter and John. They were two of Jesus' closest friends, closest companions, best friends, if you will, and the resurrection has occurred. Um, I know Haynes and Tim have preached about, you know, when the church was birthed, it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just a happening place. I can't imagine being in Jerusalem during this time. Uh, we also learn when they preached that first sermon that 3,000 people got saved. I mean, I, that just, I, it just blows my mind. But But great excitement so the story picks up, and so Peter and John are headed to the temple. It is the time of prayer. They're making their way. And as they get to the temple, they're coming, they're arriving. There is a man there who is lame. And and the Luke, who writes the book of Acts, tells us that, that this man was carried to the temple every day uh, because that is where he would beg for alms, beg for money. And so he looks at Peter and John, and he says he's, he's begging and, and Peter stops, and he looks at him, and, and this is kind of a famous passage. If you've been in the church, you might have heard somebody preach on this before. But Peter says, look at me, look at me, and they make eye contact. And he says, P- you know, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, rise up and walk. And he takes him by the hand. So interesting, Luke says he grabs him by the right hand. I love that little detail. Grabs him by the right hand, pulls him up. Instantly his legs are strengthened. He begins to walk. He's dancing around. I cannot imagine how loud. I mean, he's he's, he's uh, just jumping, singing. I don't know. But in that, a crowd forms. And so Peter takes the opportunity to preach the gospel, he preaches about the resurrection. He preaches about who Jesus is and how what has just happened. And then he says, Repent, believe, be saved. And he preaches this amazing message. Now, here's the funny thing I don't know if it's funny but here's the reality is that religious leaders the religious leaders that the head of the temple the temple guard the Sadducees the religious leaders they did not like that so they capture Peter and John they throw them into jail they sit in jail overnight and I just want to stop right here and say they really did that they really sat in jail all night long all night long on these trumped-up charges. They sat in jail. They didn't know what was going to happen to them. They had no idea what was going to happen the next day. So this is real. This is real life. Next morning, the religious leaders call them together. They're kind of worried about the reaction of the people, the crowds. And basically, they say, hey, don't, don't, go, go, don't be talking about Jesus anymore. Y'all got y'all to be quiet, that y'all are stirring up too much, too much stuff. Don't do that. And, uh, and Peter and John look at them, and they say, well, you know, obey God or obey y'all. What's it going to be? We're going to continue to proclaim the gospel and preach. And, um, and they let them go. All right. That's the story that kind of sets us up for the big idea for today. So they leave the the, the jail there, m- meeting with the religious leaders, and the next thing that they do, and if I can have this slide up here, it says, and after they were released, after they were released, here's what they did. They went to their friends. They went to their friends. And I and I love this, and I and because to me it's like yes, they were doing all these great things for God. They were in prison. They were preaching, but they had a group, a tribe of people that were their friends, not just fellow church members, not just fellow people that they were out, you know, whatever. But these were their friends, and I think that this gives us a blueprint of what the church universal is to look like. And why do I say the word universal? You know, we are a little over 2,000 years into the church age. And when you look at the church and you look at the history of the church, it has looked very different. There have been seasons when, and places today where the church is persecuted, where your faith, you could literally be martyred. You could be martyred for professing Christ. There are places where uh, and especially like after in the time of Constantine, when the church became like the state religion. Um, So you have just this diversity of, of where it is fully supported by the state, times when there's great persecution. When we think about different cultures, you have cultures that worship differently. But there's one commonality that I believe that if it is a true church, and we are the body of Christ, then there are these spiritual friendships that people develop that are just critical to what it means to be the body of Christ. So they came back, they gathered, and they went to their friends. And here's here's what they talked about. It says, after they released, released, they went to their friends, and if I could have the next slide up, and they reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. Y'all, they just talked about their day. I mean, and it was an amazing day, but it's like, hey, guess what happened to us? We were in the temple. This guy got healed. I preached. People got saved. And then we got put in jail. And then we told the Sadducees and the Pharisees that, yes, that's right. We're not going to listen to you. We're going to obey God. They reported about their day. And I think my question to you and my question to me is, do you have a group of spiritual friends that you can call on and say, Hey, guess what happened to me today? And it can be the testimony of God's faithfulness. Maybe there was something that you were praying for, something that you were hoping for. Maybe you got the opportunity to share the good news with somebody at work. Or it could be something that's really hard, something that you're struggling with, something that you need help with. But are you in a community uh, outside of this gathering where you have a group of spiritual friends that you can go to and say, here's what happened to me today, where you can be that for somebody else? And I think one of the the barriers so often is to be in that place where we want to be vulnerable, we want to be true, we want to be real, is that sometimes we feel like we have to put up a false facade. I remember um, years ago I had a very close friend, and uh, she and her husband, um, their oldest son, had had gotten involved in drugs in high school and and ended up... um, spending some time in rehab, and there was just a lot going on in this kid's world. Um, we, I just love this family so much. Our children had grown up together. And I was talking to the mom, and um, I saw her, bumped into her one day, and she said, you know, she said, I have felt so judged at church. She said, not that anybody's putting that on me, but I just feel so judged, and I feel like if I were a better parent, then this wouldn't be happening, and, and I feel so helpless, and what can I do? And she said, but we have gotten into a small group Um, of other moms and dads who are going through a similar season of life. Our our teens are not perfect. Um, We are struggling. And she said, and the group is not really a how-to group, like, well, if you do, you do this and your kid will turn out great or you shouldn't have done that. She said, no, we're really just there for one another, to hurt with one another, to cry with one another, to pray with one another. And she said, that's really all we're doing. And I, and I think that is just this beautiful picture of when the church is at its best, this is what we do for one another. So they had this amazing day. They go back. They gather with their friends. They tell them, hey, guess what? Here's what happened. And then the next thing that they do, it says after they were released, they went to their friends. They reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And then when they heard it, when their friends heard this story, they raised their voices together. What what does that mean? They prayed. They they prayed. the other day, I went to a, um, Liz Hammock, who go- oversees our children's ministry, our elementary ministry. She had a, a volunteer uh, get-together, and I went to talk a little bit about safe sanctuary and some policies that we have about working with kids. And it was a great meeting, but then as we closed, she said, What I want you to do now is I want you to turn to someone you know, that you're sitting here at the table with, maybe a couple of you, and just share your heart. What is it you're excited about? What is it you're concerned about? Just listen to one another and and promise to pray for one another this week. And I tell you, in that moment, I sensed God with us in our circle. There were two other ladies. uh, We all kind of shared about what was going on. And right there, we held hands, and we prayed, and we prayed over one another. And I remember thinking, this is church. This is church. This is what it means. And what I love about that picture so much is that this, this, this rhythm of breathing in, coming back in with that circle of spiritual friends, and then going back out into the world to be the light of God, this breathing in, this breathing out, this rhythm is as ancient, as it can be, because this is what God has called us to be as a community. And you know, this this building could could go away. Uh, this, you know, the United Methodist Church could go away, but it's our relationships, those connections, those bonds. That's what it truly means to be the body of Christ. So, what do we what do we take out of this? Here's here's some golden nuggets. I think. One is these these friendships that Peter and John had, they weren't based on that they liked to fish or that they, um, you know, I'm trying to think of what what their world was like. But, you know, we have friendships that we develop maybe because our kids play soccer together or maybe because we're work friends or maybe we're in college and, and so we're all in the same major. There, there are common things that pull us together. But I think these spiritual friendships kind of transcend all that. And what we hold in common together uh, when we are really having one heart, one mind, is because we know that we have been saved by grace. We believe that Jesus was God's son, that he came on this earth to love humanity, to die on the cross, that we might be born again, that we might be his children. We are forgiven, redeemed, all those great words that we read about in the book of Acts and the book of Romans. But we become that community, and now we are called to not just huddle in, but to go Out and to proclaim that good news where there are hurting people. That's that's what Peter and John did. I mean, it was pretty... Now, I'm going to say, I have never grabbed somebody by the hand and, whoo, pull them up and they're healed. Uh, That's never happened to me. But, yeah, I've gone to the hospital... And I've prayed with people. I've visited those who are sick. I've tried to be present when someone has a new baby and take a meal or take a plant. We do that all the time. So we, we breathe in community. We breathe out. We give. Um, and that can look a lot of different ways. Um, Haynes mentioned earlier. In your bulletin there, we have an insert. And one of the things as we start off 2018, my hope is, is that you will have a group of friends to, to, to pull in with when you need to breathe in. Uh, we have lots of opportunities for small groups, for Bible studies. You can see them there. and. I hope you're a part of a group, but if you're not and you want to be, you have a communication card, and there, there are two places on here on the back, and it says, please contact me at for more information about. If you would like to know more about getting plugged into a group, uh, just give me your best contact information, and I'll reach out to you this week. You know, it might be also that you are in a group but maybe God has been putting on your heart that there are people in your world that are not in a group. Now, what do I mean by this? It might be that you are a teacher and you want to start a Bible study um, after school with some of the other teachers. Um, I had a friend who was a realtor, and uh, what she did, and, and this was at another church where I worked, and I kind of helped people find small group materials, but she said, I want to start a Bible study at work in our conference room. And so she, and I helped her find some materials and she did that and she said it was just so sweet so here are all these realtors who had a, relation, a professional relationship but they also developed a spiritual relationship so if you were interested in maybe starting a group with some friends in your world and you're looking for some resource ideas like yeah that's great but I sure am not a Bible teacher where would I even start I can help you with uh, DVD based materials so you don't have to be the one that teaches but you can let kind of the, the master teach on the DVD, teach, and then you facilitate the conversations. But there are so many opportunities to be connected with one another. Um, ministry teams is another way. Um, there are so many of our folks who are involved in ministry, and that's a great way to build relationships, too, is to find somebody who is working with Out of Darkness, with uh, Making Outreach, with any of these many ministries. We also have, coming up, uh, Liz Hammock, who is also heads up our missions um you know ministries. Um, there's going to be an information meeting about uh, some upcoming mission trips to Belize and to Alaska. But those are all great opportunities. And so if you want more information about that, again, right there, please contact me about serving on a ministry team. But I think that's what you see in Peter and John. They gathered together with their friends. They prayed. They shared life. And they went out and they did ministry together. And that is, I believe, a blueprint of what the church should look like. Years ago, years ago, my daughter, um, we had we had moved um, because of my husband's job, and uh, my oldest was in middle school, and we were getting acclimated to a new church, and I, and I could get her to go to Sunday school, and of course, church, she sat with us, and I kept trying to get her to go to youth, and uh, she just wouldn't, come, she was like, Mom, I don't want to go to youth, I don't like youth, and I thought she was just, I don't know if there's any middle schoolers. I'm sorry. But I just thought she was being, you know, a grumpy middle schooler. And I just, I kind of was dismissive of her and kept making her go. And so um, one night, one of the things that we did at our new church was that on Sunday evenings after youth, different parents would uh, open their homes to kind of host everybody to come over. So I signed up and I thought, well, this will be a great way. We'll get the kids in our house, kind of get to know some of the families. And I remember you know, the kids, we had teenagers all over our house, and I remember seeing my oldest daughter, and of course now, you know, middle school, it it can be a hard season, I mean, it was hard for me, Uh, I felt awkward, I felt self-conscious, and I know, you know, that's kind of sometimes how you feel when you're in middle school, maybe not everybody, but I remember she walked up, there was a group of girls, and they were standing there, and she walked up to be a part of their conversation, and I remember this as clear as a bell, as a the girls closed ranks on her. And I don't know if y'all have ever seen that, but I sure have. But it's like they kind of, all of a sudden, they just kind of made the circle and didn't include her in it. And I just remember seeing that look on her face. And and we talked about it. She's fine, you know. And, and I just, I'm sure they weren't aware of what they were doing. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But to me, that picture has just always been in my mind not supposed to be. You know, sometimes it's good to paint a picture of who you're supposed to be, but who you're not supposed to be, that's a good reminder because sometimes these friendships that we develop in the church are so special and they're so rich and they're so meaningful that sometimes we forget to look outside of our circle and say, who's not in a circle? Who can I invite to be a part of really what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Imagine, if you will, um, you know, as I look out here, just imagine if every single one of us had a small group where we had those close, tight spiritual friends, where we could be completely honest, vulnerable, be our true selves. We went out, we did ministry together, we prayed, we came back in. Wow, what could it become? where we just are the hands and the feet of Jesus going out into Macon, Georgia, and all the world. Could it be said of us, like it was said of that early church, that great grace was upon them, great grace. You know, that's my hope and that's my prayer, that we would be the body of Christ following the blueprint of the book of Acts here in middle Georgia. Let's pray.